Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to begin in verse 21, where uh, it's at the end of a thought, but it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice the purpose of our mutual submission to one another. It is honoring to Christ. We are, it's in reverence of Christ, in fear of Christ, because, well, we'll see why in today's passage. And then he goes on to say, Wives, submit to your own husbands. If you miss that, you can get the Calvary Baptist app or look us up online and you can hear that sermon uh, in case uh, you're wondering what I said about that. Why submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we're members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you, uh, you are holy. You are thrice holy. You are perfectly holy. We thank you, Father, for sending your son. Jesus Christ, to die for us, to wed the church to himself, that we might be part of, of, of your people, that we could be the body of Christ in the world, and we could do the ministry that you've called us to do. And Lord, we thank you that you poured the Holy Spirit out on us, that we could understand the word. And so we ask, uh, Lord, that you would uh, enable us today to understand the word of God. Give us a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that He already lives with us. He lives in the church. But we ask today that uh, the Holy Spirit, that you can do your work freely, that we would be emptied of self and open to you to hear what you have to say. Uh, Lord, uh, that today we might see the wonderful things in your word and we would be quick to obey them. Lord, enable us, empower us, for indeed there's nothing we can do apart from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can sit down. A lot of people in this passage kind of get stuck on the husbands and wives, and, and most specifically get stuck on wives submitting their husbands. And that's probably, even though it's one of the most important elements in there, it's important for a, a different reason because we kind of miss the point. It's not about the wife and her husband. It's about Christ and the church. We do this when we study Revelation. People get all excited about the third toe on the left foot of the great beast or something. And, and they miss the point. Like the, the one preacher said he understood Revelation. And all his friends said, how do you understand Revelation? He said, it's easy. Jesus wins. All right? That, that, you know, you, you got to stay at the point. And actually, the point of Revelation is it found uh, in, in chapters of, of 5 and 6 or 4 and 5. The, the throne room, that God is on the throne and he has not gotten off. He is still there. There are still angels, four creatures flying around him right in this moment that we saw in Isaiah 6. We see them in Revelation and they're there today crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and is and is to come. 
And, and over and over they cry that. They cease not day and night to cry that out in heaven. And we see that. And the Bible is about Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. We need to, what we read, apply it to Christ. And then understand, well, how do I live since this is what the truth is about Christ? And so this whole passage, and, 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 and God led Paul to say this toward the end. This mystery is profound in verse 32. But I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So I want to talk today about Christ and the church. Because that is the point of this passage. And we, we did all the other to kind of get the understanding and the building up to it. But we, but we need to understand it. And so today I've got a very simple thing that I'm saying. I hope it's up there. Go ahead. Next slide. Perfectly. Yeah. There are only four options if you're part of the body of Christ. You've got four options when it comes to the body of Christ. Now let me quickly say what I'm about to tell you applies to any organization of which you are a part. Or any organization, period, but applies to you if you're a part of it. And I will get to those and the last point. But the first thing I want you to see in this passage today is that the role of Christ in the church. The role of Christ in the church. We see that what he commands the husband, it refers to Christ. Christ is the husband of the bride, right? The church is the bride of Christ, right? I'm headed to a wedding feast when I die. Okay? I'm aware of this Irish song called Haste to the Wedding. They played it at one of the royals' weddings. Uh, If you know the Coors, that's a family name, C-O-R-R-S, they played this song. I've asked my wife to play it at my funeral, to haste to the wedding, because that's where I'm going. I guess y'all not too excited about going. I mean, did y'all just hear what we were singing today in worship? How can I hold it in? They arrested Peter and John, threatened to beat them. They said, listen, we can't help but tell about what we've seen and heard. We, we're trying to teach people to do something that they ought to do just because by nature. You're so full of Christ, you can't help but talk about him. Uh, yeah, I, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when to say amen. I'll be like the politician, you know, stop, wait for the applause. No. Um, And so, we are married to Christ. He is our husband. And the Bible here is encouraging us as the church to think of him that way. And if he's our husband, there's some things he does. First of all, he loves us. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He obviously loves the church. He gave his life for the church. Right? Jesus loves the church. And that's my next point. He died for the church. He we can say we love something. And, and, and in English, of course, we have this struggle because I love football. I love Clemson football in particular. I love, I love uh, uh, apples. Um, I, love, I love my dog and I love my wife. <laughs> exactly. Those are different. But we got but one word in English, love, right? Well, the Greek had a bunch of words for love. And the Bible tells us as husbands to love our wives unconditionally, without reservation, no matter what she does or does not do. That is the kind of love God gave us in Christ. Christ loves the church, period. He doesn't love us when we do good. He doesn't love us when we obey. He just loves us, period. And it is in the strength of that knowledge that we are able to respond to him. And that's why, husbands, you are to love your wives unconditionally. No matter what she does or does not do, we are to love the church. And Christ died for the church. He did that in a very physical, obvious way. But, but what we kind of forget is 
He left heaven to love the church. He could have sat up there in heaven and goes, I really love you. See, you're struggling, but I really love you. No, he came and became one of us. He identified with us. And even when we read John 15 where he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And, and he talks about that imagery of the fact that we are connected to Christ and we draw all of our nutrition and food and necessity from him in order to produce fruit. We forget that he says, my, my father is the husbandman. My father is the gardener. And he says, and when a... I am the vine, you're the branch. When a branch doesn't produce fruit, it gets pruned. He is a, listen, the, the vine feels it when the branch is pruned. He's identifying more with us than he is with his heavenly father in John 15. That's how much he loves us. And when he came, he emptied himself of glory, it says in Philippians, and took on the form of a servant, was obedient even to the, to the cross, that he could identify with us. He died while he lived, and he told us to do the same thing. He said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross as an instrument of death. And we daily die to ourselves. Paul expanded on that in, in the epistles. And he says, we, he, Paul said, I die daily. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our desires and wants and comforts in order to obey Christ. But Christ already exampled that. He died to his glory. He died to the, 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 the accolades that were, were his by right, and he looked like us. And we call that the, the, the passive obedience of Christ in that, that, he, uh, that he emptied himself, but he died for the church, and he sanctifies the church. Here it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It says also, uh, so that you might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he could present the church to himself. And he, and he goes on to talk about the fact that Christ has sanctified us. Now, that's a word we don't use a lot, and it sounds like a big theology word, and it is a big theology word, but sanctify comes from the word holy, okay? You with me? And holy doesn't mean that I'm always dressed up and I'm clean physically and my mind never wanders and I never say anything I shouldn't say, I never do anything I shouldn't do, and I come to church every minute of every day and I give all my money away and all that. That's not what holiness means. Holiness means I'm set apart for his purpose. That's what holiness is. Now, if I'm set apart for his purpose, he may tell me I need to do some of those things that I just named. But holiness is, I'm not made holy because I do them. I do them because he made me holy. you got to get this straight. If you get this order wrong, salvation is of you. And in Galatians, he even says to the Galatians, are you so crazy? You think you start in faith, you can end by works? No, the works are a result of the faith. The result, works are a result of the, of the work of God in our life. We call that sanctification. And it just simply means we look more and more like Jesus. Okay, That's not an official de uh, a definition you'll find in a book. But, but what I'm telling you is sanctification means I am set apart for Christ's purposes. I think of it, and, and only certain age group in here will get what I'm about to say. So I apologize to our younger people. But I think of it like rawhide. Because they're driving those cattle across the west. And those cows are having baby cows. And those calves need to be branded. And so the guy rides in there on his quarter horse. And he cuts that little doggy out of the herd. And he ropes it and he wrestles it to the ground. And they take a red hot poker and... 
and branded with the whatever brand. The snake that crawls backwards brand. I don't know. But they know that's my cow because it's got my brand on it. That's what being sanctified means. He cut us out of the herd of the world and he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He put his brand on us. I like the guy that asked the question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? He has branded us. He has sanctified us. He set us apart for his purpose. And guess what? If you're set apart for his purpose, you don't get to choose whether you get milked or butchered. Because you belong right. And so some he uses through their lifetime. Some even give their life physically for Christ. And God calls the husband to sanctify the church by giving for his wife by giving his life for his wife. He dies to self in order to help her grow and learn and enables her. Christ did that for us. And then he cherishes the church. It says, no man... He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated uh, his own body, his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Christ cherishes the church. He loves us. I know there was a season of time, and there's still probably preachers today, and they come in and, and they want to condemn you, and then we criticize Joel Osteen for never condemning us. And uh, I, I think Joel's gone too far, but... He's got a point. And the point is, Christ is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. He poured his anger out. Mark, Pastor, uh, Brother Mark said it this morning. God poured his anger out on Christ, and I go free. And now he cherishes me. He loves me. And the Bible says that husbands ought to love their wives like that. We ought to cherish them. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that one. He wants Christ brings us in and and no matter what we do we're beautiful to him y'all 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 know that that gal that you can't figure out why that guy likes her but he just loves her i got some uncles married some women like that (laughs) i wouldn't name my daughter certain name that my wife likes because i had an aunt by that name and she to me wasn't worth it (laughs) But my uncle loved her. Good night, he loved her. I can't figure that out. Guess what? Sometimes when we're not very lovable, when we're kind of ugly and not good, Christ still loves us. He still cherishes us. And he loves us in a way that we're, as men, supposed to love our wives. That's the role of Christ. And guess what? Christ never messes up. He never fails. Which brings me to my next point. The church... Is the wife. The role of the wife. The church is the same as the role of the wife. The church is supposed to submit to Christ. And when we were looking at that. We realized over in Genesis. That when it says that the woman would be subject to her husband. But her desire would be for him. That that literally means her desire is to rule and reign over her husband. But she is supposed to submit to his leadership. The church is supposed to submit to the leadership of Christ. I am not the head of this church. I'm the pastor of this church. And I, as pastor, which is a word that means shepherd, I'm not even the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd of the church. Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the head of the church. Right? It is my job to lead us to submit to Christ. Now, that can't happen until you surrender to Christ. 
You can't submit till you surrender. Forced submission is slavery. But once you have surrendered and become a willing slave to him, submission becomes easy. Whatever you want, I'll do that. Whatever you ask of me, I will do. And I voluntarily submit. The church is subject to the same temptation as the wife to want to rule Christ, tell Christ how he ought to run his church. And I'll let you in on a little secret if you're sitting out there and you are the kind that kind of don't like what happens in church sometimes. And I'm sure all of us have been there and found things we didn't agree with. I'll let you in on a little secret. What we do in North American church ain't necessarily the right way to do it. But you think it is because that's what you grew up with. You think it is because that's all you've ever known or seen. And no church in any place in the world is 100% correct. I can't say, oh, you need to go to this country, see how they do it there. Now, they're doing it right. No, not necessarily. They got some problems, too. We all do. That's why he has to wash us and iron us and fix us to present the bride spotless without blemish. But let me just tell you, following Christ and worshiping Christ does not have to do with the kind of music we sing or the kind of clothes we wear or how long the service lasts or what time the service is. Y'all know why the church traditionally in North America meets at 11 o'clock? Give you time to slop the hogs, milk the cows, collect the eggs, and still get to church in your buckboard and horse-drawn wagon. And by the time all that happened, it was 11 o'clock, so they thought it was a good time to start church. So we're going to start at 8 o'clock, because most of us in here, except for Daniel, doesn't have hogs and cows and stuff to tend to. And I got a feeling Daniel might make it by 8 o'clock anyway, so that'll be awesome. I'm just teasing you, brother. I saw you over there going along with me. He was like, that's right, that's right, you knew Friend, some of the things we think are so necessary may not be. Now, Baptists always said, well, we're not like, you know, the Catholics or somebody. We don't have a liturgy we have to follow. Really? I've been in Baptist churches. If you didn't sing three hymns in an offertory and the doxology at the end of the offering, you were going to hell. <laughs> Without pass and go and not collecting $200, you're just going straight on to hell. Just forget it. We get so used to what we're used to, we think that's right. It's not necessarily right. And so we, as the bride, sometimes want to tell Christ, this is how you have to do it. And when the husband says, no, I want to do this a little differently in you, we rebel and we rebuke and we go against his will, sometimes not even actively. Some of y'all are sweet. Some of y'all don't go, I ain't doing that. Some of y'all go, well, I just don't feel led to do that, so I'm not going to. <laughs> And we couch our rebellion in nice, kind, spiritual words. But it's still rebellion. Passive rebellion is still rebellion. Right? So that brings me to the four options you got. All right? I know y'all been waiting with bated breath. Here's the options of belonging to any group. Lead it, like it, leave it, or lean into it. That's your four options. If you're part of a group, one of those four options will apply to you. Let me break that down a little bit, lest you think something I didn't mean to say. First of all, you could lead it. That is a God-appointed thing. I was mentioning uh, being sanctified. In Romans 1, it's, it's uh, my favorite place. It's interesting in the New Testament. I don't know if you know this, but when they wrote letters in the New Testament, we sign letters at the end. They signed them at the beginning because it was a way of introducing themselves. And my favorite way that Paul introduces himself is found in Romans 1. Paul, which it doesn't matter, it's my favorite, but I just wanted you to see it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, or slave, actually that word is, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel 
of God. That's sanctification. That's holiness. Set apart. Holiness. It's made just for the gospel of God. Paul understood that to be true in him. And God appointed Paul to be a certain thing. God may appoint you to be some to work in the church. Let me change what I just said. God did appoint you to, be, to do something in church. He has appointed you to lead. He's appointed you to lead your family. He's appointed you to lead your friends to Christ. He's appointed you to lead your co-workers to Christ. He's appointed you to lead somewhere, somehow. But in Matthew 20, and you can turn there if you want to, we, we find a, a, a story and the conclusion of a story. I'm just going to jump in on it. But in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus uh, is, is uh, speaking here. John and Jane's mom just came to him and said, I want my boys to sit on your right hand, your left hand. Jesus said, that's not up to me. He said, the one who drinks the cup with me will sit on my right and my left. In other words, the guy who will die to self. And then he says, and when the ten heard it, they were angry at James and John. You ever notice that people get mad at the person who said the thing they were thinking? Now, the rest of them were thinking the same thing. J- James and John's mama didn't know when to hush, and so she just went ahead and said it. In verse 25, but Jesus called them and said to them, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it won't be that way among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Listen, a call to leadership, it's not a show. It's not calling a star. It's calling a servant to a life of service. And so if you've been called to lead, it's not because you're important. It's because God needs a job done and you're willing. He doesn't call the able. He enables the called. Because you don't, if you had the strength to do it, Jesus dying on the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit is pointless. And when we try to do what God's called us to do in our own power, we fail. We have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit who came because Jesus died in our place on a cross and filled us with the Holy Spirit. And while you're in Matthew, just look at chapter 8 and verse 9. Uh, I heard pages rustling. I can hear it when you click your... Uh, electronic devices if you're following along that way but Matthew 8 I hope you're following along with me and Matthew 8 verse 9 for it's the story of Jesus a centurion came to him and asked him to heal his daughter he said okay let's go and he said no you don't have to go and in verse 9 he said because I am a man under authority he says all you got to do is speak the word I have soldiers under me I said one go and he goes another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it But what is so interesting, he says, I'm a man under authority, not a man in authority. I looked that word under up. Guess what it means? It means to be under. (laughs) It flat out means to be under. Yesterday, Jess and I uh, hiked up on uh, Crabtree Falls, and there was this little cave place. And, of course, me being me, I went in the whole time. She's going, don't do it. They have signs all over that. Don't get off the trail. 30 people have died. I was trying to be 31, but it didn't work. But anyway. Uh, So, no, they didn't have a sign on the cave. So I went in there, and... Before I went, she said, look at that boulder. And the boulder is sitting there. It's like it rolled down and stopped there. And it created this little cave. And I went in, and there was a passage you could go up and back out over the top. And I snuck out. And she was down there going, Stuart, Stuart, where are you? And I was above her going, hey. 
there was a big rock in there, and it would just fall. You could see it falling and wedged in there. And I thought, hmm. And people would put sticks up there kind of to show that that rock was just resting on the other rocks. Like those sticks were going to stop it if it fell. Yeah, it's not going to happen. That's what it means to be under. That rock fell and I was under it. That's what it means to be under. I'm a man under authority. It'll crush you. Especially if you think it makes you in charge. It means you have been called to serve. You follow me? And so God may call you to lead something. Then lead it with his help. Lead it with the filling of his spirit. Lead it by loving and serving more than anyone else. That's what God calls us to do. Or you can like it. And you, you, you like it by becoming a member. You say, hey, I want to I be a part of that. And, and in fact, this morning in our Sunday school class, someone asked me the question, which we cover next week anyway. It's the new members class. We'll cover it next week. But I appreciate the question because the same question I had to ask myself and actually Janice asked me, make sure I had thought this thing through. What does it mean to like the church? What does that literally mean? It means I'm a part of the group. I enjoy being a part of the group. I thought of some silly things like, the guys who never played a down on the Super Bowl team still got a Super Bowl ring. Did you know that? They were happy to take their paycheck, be a part of the group, and never get to play. I don't know that they were happy, but I'm just assuming. Maybe they were sad, but they got over when they got that real expensive ring. But that's not really quite it. To, be, to like being a part of it means that you endure through the bad stuff. It's like when I got my first paper out at age 13, before, you know, child labor laws, whatever. When I worked at the factory, 18 hours a day. No, I didn't do that. I remember what my mom told me when I said, I want to get this paper out. My friend George has a paper out and he wants to give it to me. And she said, if you take it, you're not going to do it for three months and quit. My mom's given me some pithy statements through the years. I'm saved because she asked me, what about you, when I talked about kids getting saved. I told you, I called, tell her I was going to ask Chance to marry me. She said, you can't come home. So a few little phrases I never forgot. That and you eat that or I'll beat the fool out of you. No, she didn't say that either. <laughs> she didn't say that. I'm just teasing. But she told me that. Told our, was that me? We told our kids that. If you're going to be a part of this, you can't quit. Once you're in, I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. Too bad. Your teammates are dependent on you. The coaches depend on you. You will finish it. But then I thought of something else. Stephen is my oldest daughter's husband. Dexter is my younger daughter's husband. What if Dexter and Stephen had come to me? And they both did. Trust me, they both did. And they said, I want to marry your daughter. But what if they had come to me and said, you know, I like Savannah or Cameron, whichever one, a lot. I mean, I... I think I love her. And so I just came to let you know that I'm going to have her move in with me. And I'm going to live with her as if we're married. And uh, she's going to, you know, support me. And, uh, you know, while we're figuring it out. Here's the evidence they didn't say that. They're both still breathing.
We used to tell teenage girls or boys, say, if you love me, you'll let me. Say, I'll let you. You go to my daddy and ask, me, ask him for my hand in marriage. And if he says yes and you marry me, then I'll let you. Because the commitment comes before the payoff. And to like it is to be so committed to it, you invest in it. You get a payoff, but that's not why you do it. You do it because you love and you desire what God wants. And so for the church, you ought to like it. And if there's something you don't like, wait five minutes. It's probably going to change. I don't like that song we sang. Well, five minutes, we're going to sing another one. Hang in there. I don't know if you can endure it. Try. Next week, we're going to sing different ones. Whoa, you might like those. I just don't get why people get all bent out of shape over stuff. Just love God and serve his people. Isn't that what he said? The second is like the first love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two commandments hang all the law. The third one is to leave it. And I'm not standing here going, well, if you don't like it, just get out. I'm not saying that. But I do want to define that a little bit for us. First of all, in 3 John chapter 9 and 10, what I'm trying to say is, if you don't like it, you do not have the option of destroying it. You have the option to leave it because you just know that's not what God wants of you. And I don't want you to leave it because you don't like it. I want you to like it before you leave it. I want you to only leave it because God called you to leave it. Not because you just found something you didn't like. Because I promise you, you're going to find something you don't like. It's not a question of if you'll ever get mad at me. You're going to get mad at me. It's not a question of you if you will ever not like something I say. I can promise you, you're not going to like something I say. It's not an issue of if you will ever get frustrated by my leadership. You will get frustrated by my leadership. It's a guarantee. What I hope is that you'll love me through it. Until we come out on a better end. That you'll help me. You'll enable me. You will encourage me and strengthen me. And in 3 John, John, who is the Apostle John, uh, in, in verses 9 and 10, said this. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. Notice who is doing the pudding himself. And notice where he wants to be, number one. Does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. I heard a preacher preach on this one time. And he said... Diotrephes had the attitude that if I can't run it, I'll ruin it. And that attitude will destroy any organization. You don't have the right to throw rocks at the authority. You have the right to ask God to deal with them in the church. And if you're a part of an organization, not the church, listen, you can't endure the leadership, get out. So many times we get mad and we talk to other people before we ever talk to the person and actually do something about it. Who is God? And then the person responsible, who might be me or somebody else in leadership. In Galatians 5.15, in fact, he warns us. And again, I, I, I'm not trying to fuss at anybody. If, if you're not happy with something, I'm trying to help you see that just, you know, be happy. Was it the 90s I got rid of that song? Don't worry, be happy. Look at... Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you're not consumed by one another. 
I, I love reading like, you know, uh, King Arthur type stories and hero stories. And it always amazes me that the dictator, the evil person who wants to take over is always destroying what he takes over. And then I think, well, what's he going to have once he gets there? He's going to have nothing because he destroyed it. It doesn't make sense to me. Or why do you want to hurt someone else who does love it and does enjoy it? I mean, I used to not like any kind of um, asparagus. But I wasn't going to stop you from eating it. I wasn't going to go, that's the foulest vegetable God put on it. I don't think God, I think the devil came up with asparagus. <laughs> no, just feel free. But then we learned about olive oil, sea salt, and an oven. And now I like asparagus, all right. The reason I didn't like asparagus when I was a little, little boy, we had, a, we had a candelabra in our living room. How many of y'all had parents that went through the Depression? Yeah, me too. We had candles that were never lit because you might need them one day. And so one Thanksgiving, my sister said, let's eat by candlelight. My mom amazingly agreed. So Thanksgiving dinner, she lit candles and I got me some big old helping of green beans because I love green beans. And I stuck those things in my mouth and it weren't green beans. <laughs> it was boiled asparagus. I didn't eat it again until I was in my 40s. I'm just telling you, that was the worst, worst event of my life, I think. Now that was the worst event. I'm doing good. We got to be careful not to bite and devour one another because we call that Christian cannibalism. We're just hurting each other. Why? We're part of the same body. Why would you do that? But here's, here's the text. It's back close to our text. In Ephesians chapter 4, we've already talked about this, but look at it again in case you forgot. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I appreciate that you use the word unity. It doesn't use the word unison. We don't all have to sing the same note. But we all ought to be on the same key. Now if you're not musical. That means it ought to sound good. Okay. Even though we're not singing the exact same note. It ought to blend well. There's nothing more important to God. Than the truth. And second only to the truth. Is unity. God expects the church to be... You say, well, why are there so many denominations? Because we can't get along. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. And so, you don't have the option to destroy, but you can leave. And so I didn't want... I, I, I had to be real careful how I said this, because somebody's going to go out and say, that preacher told us we didn't like it, we can just get out. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is, Please, if you do need to leave, don't do this before you leave. Because that's what some people do. Pull the pin, throw the grenade, and go out the door. And let everybody else deal with the aftermath. Don't do that. I get it. You don't like it. Not your cup of tea, whatever. I don't expect everybody to like me. I'm confused when you don't, but I don't expect it. <laughs> but please don't blow me up on your way out. Let's love each other. Let's care for one another. I don't want to hurt you either. I really don't. But we're all human and we make mistakes. So let's understand that. But the last one, lean into it. Lean into it. You may not be familiar with that term. I'm not sure I understand all that some people might mean when they say it. 
But it is the sense of getting through something that's difficult by instead of pulling away from it, leaning into it. In warfare, our soldiers use that. When that one is injured, embrace it. Lean into the pain. Ride that. Use it. Let it help you. We, it is in discipline and difficulty that we grow and we achieve and we learn more. And so, to me, the best option, you know, God will call you to some form of leadership. I think we all ought to like it, be part of it. I hope nobody leaves it. But I hope we all lean into it. I hope we all say, you know, that's not where it ought to be. I'm going to get in and help it become everything God wants it to be. I, you know, I'm not sure what we're doing there, so I'm going to become a part of it and see if I can encourage it and help it and maybe figure out what's going on. A lot of times we don't like stuff because you don't know what you're talking about. So it would behoove you not to look foolish by learning before you leave. Don't leave, learn. In Ecclesiastes 9.10 it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And in Luke chapter 9... In verse 62, I'm going to turn there. Uh, Jesus says there, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You talk about leaning into it. My daddy plowed behind a mule. I know the, the order is gi and ha. One's left, one's right. Because my daddy told me about plowing behind a mule. If you don't know, that's, the, that's left is gi, right is ha. I think. You know, some older guy's going to come in and go, you had that backwards. I'm going, okay, sorry. I'm not my daddy. But he plowed. Well, you know what? Those old plows you're holding on to, they, didn't, they weren't weighted down like, you know, modern plow. They had to push into it. They had to, they had to lean into it. And they're encouraging the mule to pull it. But they're digging into that hard ground with that thing. And Jesus said, if you put your hand in that plow and you quit, you're not worthy of the kingdom. What is the plow? The plow is the service of God. And while you're in Luke... Look in Luke 17 with me just for a second. I'm not going to read the the parable Jesus tells, but in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10, just so you can locate it, see it, mark it, put something there. He tells the story of a master with slaves. He said, no one of you, if you're a master with slaves, send the slave out into the field. He works all day, comes in, and you say, hey, have a seat. Let me make you some supper. No, rather you say to him, make my supper, and after I've eaten, you can eat. And he said, and when that happens, does the master look at the slave and say, thanks for making my supper? No, he does not. He said, in the same way you, when you've done everything you can do, say to yourself, I am an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which is my duty to do. Unprofitable means I cannot gain on God's investment. Only God can gain on his own investment. But I can stop God's gain on investment by not willing to be a servant who gives everything I can give and then I die. Listen, if I'm rewarded, it'll only be in heaven. It's not here. And I pray that there's been some part of my life where I have been surrendered to God enough that what he, I did, He did it. And that it was a positive thing. And that there will be some gift he gives me that I can give back to him. Because every gift we're ever going to give God, he already gave it to us first. I mean, we, we, you got nothing to take to him. And so leaning into it acknowledges that apart from him I can do nothing. And I accept the person the Holy Spirit 
in my life so that I can lean into the work, so I can dig in and I can make sure I do it. We misunderstand the word patience. We think patience means that I stay calm when things are going wrong. That's not what the word patient means. The word patience is like digging in a foxhole and saying, I'm not getting out of this hole till I defeat the enemy. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to live or die right here, and I'm going to try to be victorious while I've dug in, and I'm not going to quit. That's what patience actually means. It means endurance, lasting through. And that's what I mean by lean into it. If you're part of an organization... You ought to be 100% in it. Now, there's some organizations you might not ought to be a part of. But if you're in the body of Christ, you are a part of the body. And you ought to lean into helping the body be healthy. Helping the body to be strong. Helping the body to do the work that God's called it to do. So, here's some things practically we can do about those things. And I, listen, take those home with you because those four things apply to everything you're a part of. You can lead it, like it, leave it, or lean into it. And some of them cross over. Because if you like it, you ought to be leaning into it. Amen? If you're leading it, you certainly should be leaning into it. Amen? Amen? Okay. I'm offended so many of you. You won't answer now. Number one, if God's called you to lead, lead following knowing Jesus leads you and you're an under-shepherd. You're not the boss. I'm not the boss. Jesus is the boss. And so we got to do what he wants, not what we want. Right? Thank God. If I had to make all the decisions, we would be in trouble. Number two, if God has called you to be a member of Calvary, then join. Why membership? Why a marriage certificate? How many of y'all got a paycheck this month or this week or whatever? You got paid for working a job. How many of you? So you're part of the organization, huh? Because I didn't get your paycheck. Whoever you work for did not send me in the mail. You know, I think I'm just going to give Stuart a paycheck this week. Because I'm not part of their organization. Why join the church? Because you're part of the church. And if you're going to suck up resources and seats, then you ought to contribute. Brother Cumbie, are you in here somewhere? Colonel back there? Lieutenant Colonel, sorry. What happened when a boy didn't show up? Somebody went looking for him, didn't they? AWOL is what we used to call it. Absent without leave. The army knows who belongs to them. Right? I did not play for the Clemson Tigers yesterday. Because I'm not on the roster. Neither could I be, but I'm not on the roster. And... No NFL team's going to send me a paycheck day either because I'm not on their team either. Why join the church? I don't know. Is this the only place in all of your life where you don't feel like you've got to officially be a part? If you care about it, you'll want to be a part of it. It's that simple. Now, I'm not fussing. Some people don't understand that. Some people don't get that. I, I just want to explain it. It means I care enough to commit to it. It tells me who you can count on. Because I care enough I've committed. That's all. Number three, figure out how you can lean into the ministry God has called you to and then lean into it. If you're, listen, Brother Larry has called me every week, at least once a week for the past month. Can I make this announcement? We need to make this announcement. I want to talk about this. You know why? Because he's leaning into it. He's seeing what he does as being valuable. And it is valuable. 
And so guess what? He's so passionate about it, he's been leaning into it. Like, man, let me tell you these stories. He's got a thousand great stories. That's why I didn't let him give the announcement. He'd still be telling you good stories. I encourage you to ask him about them. There's some good stories there. Because he leans into it. That's a part that God's called him to, and he does that well. Well, I want you to be passionate about following and serving Jesus Christ. So lean into it. What would it look like if everybody in this church decided, I'm going to lean into it? I'm not going to make that a motto. I've said it so much now, it's becoming a motto in my head. Like, get t-shirts, Calvary, I'm leaning into it. (laughs) What do you mean by that? But we might ought to, huh? I just want to saw, what would it look like, man, if everybody in here said, you know what, I've just been warming a seat. I want to lean into it. I want to get involved. It would be awesome. What could we accomplish for Christ if we did that?